0: Well, hello and welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Westlake Podcast. And today I'm joined again by Nick Papagiorgio. Hi, everybody. And we are looking at some of the great historical moments, events, periods of time in the history of the church. And in our previous episode, we looked at the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed and how that arose out of the controversy with the heretic Arius. Today, we're doing a follow-on from that, because, Nick, we are looking at what?
1: We are looking at another strange word called the filioque, which is Latin.
0: Latin for what?
1: A Latin term that means, and from the sun.
0: Okay, why is that of historical significance for the church? Because it's huge significance, isn't it?
1: It is definitely one of the, the biggest things to ever happen to Christian history. Yep. It seems like a very small word and not a particularly important one. But just like the Nicene Creed, where the word homoousios and homoousius were important and had massive theological implications, this one also has massive implications, but not just
0: theological. Which we will look at in a following episode. And if the Arius controversy was to do with who the son of God is, the filioque is about the Holy Spirit, Nick. It is indeed.
1: So as we heard in the last episode uh, on the Nicene Creed, there was this big controversy about the nature of the Son of Jesus Christ. It culminated at the Council of Nicaea in 325. The church had a consensus that Jesus is is fully man and fully God. Now, the problem with the Nicene Creed was that it didn't finish the debate. It went on for almost another 60 years and led to another council, which was held in Constantinople or Istanbul. And this was in 381. And what we call today the Nicene Creed is actually a statement that was drawn up at that council. Now, in that creed, there's a a statement that talks about the Holy Spirit. And it says in English, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. Now, everybody seemed to be okay with that. Up until maybe about 30 years or so later, where we begin to find around 410, we have a first mention of a smaller council in Persia, where there seems to be a mention that the Holy Spirit proceeds not just only from the Father, but also from the Son. And in Latin, this term and the Son is filioque. So as the years go on, we begin to find more and more mentions of this filioque appearing in the Nicene Creed, especially in churches in the West. Now, one thing we need to know about that particular time was that Christianity was really centered upon five big cities of the known world at the time. Okay. Right? So those five cities were Rome, Constantinople, Alexandria in Egypt, Antioch in Asia Minor, and Jerusalem. And those were the big areas where the the bishops of those cities were kind of the sort of the big guys, right, of the Christian world.
0: Yeah, these were the big learning centers and the places of influence in the church and civilization in some ways.
1: Yeah. Now, if you look at a map, you'll find that the only one in the West is Rome, and all the other ones are kind of close together. That's a big issue and an important factor because the Filioque controversy was more about politics than it was really about theology, even though it was theology. So the five bishopries, so to speak, Constantinople, Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem were kind of the East, and Rome was the West. And as the years passed after the 3rd and 4th century and the 5th century and so forth, the Bishop of Rome seemed to act more and more kind of independent than the other bishops in the other Four cities. And as we move towards the fifth and especially the sixth century, we begin to see some things are happening in the church that telegraph that there has been a a move of independence in Rome in relationship to the other five bishopries. This sort of nagging sense that Rome is kind of doing its thing and sort of the East, the other places are kind of doing their thing. And this is reflected in the Filioque because suddenly around the sixth and seventh century, especially, this Filioque, this idea that this Holy Spirit proceeds also from the Son starts appearing in sermons, in statements, and in amendments of the Nicene Creed. Now, to put that in our terms today, it's as if you took the U.S. anthem, the Stars and Stripes, and replaced Stars and Stripes with maple syrup, something like that. And the question is, well, do you have the right to do that? I mean, this this is the kind of tension this created. Now, this was not the only thing that was going on at the time, but the Filioque controversy really became sort of the, the, how can I put it? it,
0: The lightning rod for the...
1: Yeah, the lightning rod of this particular split that was happening, this erosion that was happening geographically in the church. Remember, people back then, you know, they didn't have Zoom. You know, they couldn't... Travelling wasn't really something you did. Usually, you were born, lived and died around the same area, you you, you know, for your whole life.
0: A world without Zoom sounds wonderful, Nick.
1: (laughs) I know, but it could have probably helped a little bit with controversy (laughs) because (laughs) one of the factors that historians... See as major in this particular controversy was that a lot of theologians at the time seemed to be talking past each other. Indeed. So you got Rome who speaks Latin, you got the Eastern churches that speak Greek. You've got terms like that that can't be entirely translated. So all this stuff is a, a buildup of an erosion happening underneath the church simply because there's cultural and geographical differences. The distances are too high, communication is not very good between Rome and the east, and a lot of these things just kind of really just fall into that space where people just talk past each other.
0: At a time when the empire is coming under stress from invaders both in the east and in the west.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean another factor is that for example the western Roman empire falls between the council of Constantinople in 381 and the sort of the 500s, Rome has basically lost its power, it's fallen. Yeah. So by the time you're in the 500s, the world has changed dramatically. Yes. So why did this filioque kind of creep in into the church? Why did certain Christians in the West think that this is something that we really should have in our creed? Well, it actually goes to the Bible, believe it or not. And you look at passages For example, in John 15, 26, uh, Jesus says, When the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Well, there you go. Jesus said that the Spirit proceeds from the Father. End of story. Yeah, but in John 16, 13 to 15, Jesus also says, that the Father will take what is mine and declare it to you. And people argued that he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So you have two verses very close together in the Gospel of John that one seems to be saying that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, the other one from the
0: Son. And then, now, of course, course, you get in John 20, verse 32, where Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And how can they receive the Holy Spirit with him breathing on them unless the Spirit is proceeding from him? Th- these are the kind of arguments that were used.
1: Yeah, exactly. How can he breathe the Holy Spirit if he doesn't have it? Yeah. And then another argument rolls up from, uh, from verses like Galatians 4, 6. Paul says, because your children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our yes. hearts. Then you got things like Romans eight and eight, nine. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And then Philippians 1:19, for example, for I know that through your prayers, says Paul, and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Yes. So you see, this is not a, a straightforward debate and there seems to be backing from the scriptures for both and usually what happens in theological debates where just reading scripture doesn't settle things you need to start theologizing you need to start adding more information and thinking through things more carefully and usually when that happens in church history we end up with very long-standing debates so now we have a church that is splitting it's kind of eroding it's the growing differences in the East versus the West, and now we have this very, very central doctrine about the Holy Spirit and whether or not it comes from the Father or the Son. Now, any historian that you read, or most historians that you read who have looked into this, a lot of the consensus is that even though there there were people in both sides who looked at this as a crucial theological debate, really the consensus among historians seems to be that this was really an issue that had to do more with the church itself rather than with the nature of God.
0: Yes. This is more about politics in some ways and what's going on on the ground than about the intra-divine relationships of the Godhead.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even though, you know, if you read into the theology, you'll find that, especially in the Orthodox side, the idea today in the Eastern Orthodox Church is that saying that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son diminishes the Holy Spirit. On the West, the the idea is that this is consistent with what scripture seems to teach. And historians put the whole controversy into four sort of dimensions. They look at it and they say, look, you know, there's there's four things really that were debated for many, many years. This thing went on for 600 years, right? I mean, you know, it went on up until the Great Schism, which we will cover in the next episode. So the four things that the controversy was about was really, first of all, about the term itself. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son as well? The second one was, well, is it biblical? Then there were two more things coming up. The first one was, is it legitimate to take the Nicene Creed and make an amendment simply because it fits your theology better? To insert a term in a document that has the consensus of the entire church.
0: Which is what the Western church did with the filioque clause.
1: Exactly. That, that was really the question that bothered people. And today, if you read uh, Eastern Orthodox theologians who write about this, they usually end up talking about, well, should we really say yes to this? This is like saying that, well, the, that Rome is right. They just did whatever they wanted and we just have to fall in line. you know. Okay. And the final thing was whether or not we should accept the authority of the Pope to define the orthodoxy of the doctrine and make amendments to the creeds of the church. And you can see that these four things alone are enough to help you understand why this hasn't been resolved to this day.
0: Yeah, and that is the case, isn't it, Nick? It is still an unresolved issue that divides the Eastern and the Western churches.
1: Absolutely. And in 1054, it led to what we know as the Great Schism, which, as I said, we're going to cover in our next episode.
0: Well, Nick, there you go. Some mind-boggling stuff for us to think about. God bless you and God bless everybody else. God bless everybody.